Let me ask everybody now in the room, um, if you consider yourself a strong swimmer, would you raise your hand just real high? If you consider yourself, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty good swimmer. Now go ahead. You're not going to have to prove it, okay? We're not going to do laps in the baptistry. Go ahead. If you're confident that, that, that you're a good swimmer, okay? Now, how many of you have ever been in like a swimming competition or you've ever won a medal or won some kind of prize for your swimming? Okay, there's a few of us in the room too. That is not me, okay? I don't, I don't swim very well at all. In fact, I try not to swim because when I swim, it confuses everybody around me. They don't know if I'm angry or if I'm drowning. They never really know, and so I, I try not to swim. But what if we, like all 400 of us this morning, what if we decided we're going to have a swim to Hawaii contest? And whoever makes it to Hawaii gets a million bucks. And what if we all did that and we made it as easy as we could? We, we shortened the distance as much as we could. So we got in the church vans and we drove to Monterey, California, because the distance from Monterey to Maui is 2,300 miles. And we're going to swim. We're all going to get in the water together and swim for Hawaii. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how good or how many medals or how hard you've worked or how many trophies you've won. It doesn't matter. You and I are going to enjoy the same fate. One of two things is going to happen. You're going to drown or you're going to be eaten by a shark. That's it. There are no other options. We can get Michael Phelps on the church van, greatest swimmer of all time, eight gold medals. We all get in the water at the same time. His fate will be just like mine. Mine will come faster than his. But every one of us in this room, if we get in the water to swim to Hawaii, everybody in here, without exception, it doesn't matter how dedicated you are, how committed you are, how strong you are. It doesn't matter the number of trophies on your shelf. We're all going to end up drowned or shark snack, okay? Nobody swims to Hawaii. Paul starts chapter 3 with the word finally. Finally. Okay, now Paul's like all preachers. Just because he says finally doesn't mean he's almost done, okay? He's not. When Paul says finally, just like when I say finally, that's not a time to relax. That's not the time to pull the songbook out of the rack and text the restaurant, okay? We're, we're just getting warmed up. So he says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Okay, there is a serious doctrinal issue taking place in this little church in Philippi. And, and Paul's battling a false teaching here. And this false teaching and these, these uh, false practices tend to be an issue in almost every single church that we read about in the Bible. And Paul says, I'm going to repeat something I've already told you before. Verse 1, he says, I don't mind repeating myself because this is important and I want you to pay attention to this. Okay, that's verse 1. Here's verse 2. And the original Greek text of verse 2 is so striking in its language and it is so abrupt and it is so blunt and there is a shocking change of tone with verse 2. And this, this would have surprised everybody who heard it read out loud during church. This would have been a very dramatic thing to hear verse 2. Literally, word for word in the original Greek, verse 2 says, look the dogs, look the evil workmen, look 
the flesh mutilators. If you heard Vincent Price read those exact words, it would sound like a commercial for a horror movie at the drive-in. Look, the dogs. Look, the evil workmen. Look, the flesh mutilators. <laughs> Paul's doing something here, okay? Paul wants his readers to know that what's happening in your church is gross and it's wrong and it's evil. And the ones who are doing it are to be cursed like dogs. What's happening in your church, Paul writes, is a scary thing. The Jewish Christians are telling the Gentile Christians, you've got to be circumcised in order to be right with God. In order to have a righteous relationship with God, you've got to look like us and act like us and talk like us and worship just like us. You can't eat this and you can't do that. And it's got to be five steps of salvation and three songs and a prayer and guide, guard, and direct us until the next appointed time. And by all means, for pity's sake, you've got to be circumcised. Church, that kind of thinking is gross. And it's wrong. And it's evil. And if it's happening here, that's scary. This is the kind of thing the Bible absolutely does not tolerate. Paul will not stand for this. If there's one thing Paul battles in his teachings and his preachings and his writings, it's this idea that a righteous relationship with God involves anything other than Christian faith. Righteousness with God only comes from God. It's a gift. It has nothing to do with anything we do. These Jewish Christians are turning circumcision into a cutting of the body and the checking of a box. When true circumcision is supposed to be a changing of the heart. And they know this because they know the law. Deuteronomy 30 says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Circumcision was never just about the physical act. It was never intended to be a ritual to be proud of or some kind of a marker of righteousness. It is a circumcision of the heart. And Paul says, we are all all of us, we are that circumcision. Look at verse 3. It is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul says it has nothing to do with your rites and your rituals and your eating habits and your hygiene practices. This cutting of the body, no, 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 no. Paul says it's about things much bigger than that. We worship, Paul says, not by any hard, fast sets of complex rules or inconsistent regulations. Paul says, we worship by the Spirit of God. We glory, Paul says, not, not in our heritage or our traditions or our nationality or the name on our building. We glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh in the things that we do, our confidence is in the righteousness that comes from God. That's the circumcision. And Paul says, all of us, we've already got that together. 
Everyone who's put their faith in God and in his redeeming work through the crucified and resurrected Savior. Everyone who has submitted to the Lordship of Christ and accepted his mercy and grace by being baptized into his life and death and resurrection. Everyone who's received the forgiveness of sins and the gift of God's indwelling Holy Spirit and initiation into the Lord's body, the church. Paul says we have all already been circumcised. If you'll look just a page or two over at Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, You've been given fullness in Christ. In Jesus, you were circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of people, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised up with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Amen. Paul says we've already all been circumcised. Our righteousness comes from God, not from humans or anything humans can do. Now, it would be one thing if Titus were preaching this, you know. Titus, he's a Gentile, and it would make sense if a Gentile would teach against the necessity of circumcision, right? If you didn't get me when I was eight days old, you're not getting me now kind of thing, right? That makes sense. It wouldn't carry as much weight if Titus were preaching this. Same thing with Timothy, you know, with his mixed heritage. It might not have as much of an impact if he were writing this letter. But but what gives this teaching its power, what what makes this so mind-blowing and so universe-altering and so challenging for God's people today, us, is that it's Paul. Paul's not talking in abstracts here. Paul's not writing about concepts and ideas. He knows. Of all the people in the whole world, Paul knows about circumcision. Paul knows firsthand what it's like to seek his own righteousness. Paul knows what it means to put his confidence in his own good works, to take pride in his heritage And the way he was brought up and raised. Verse 4, he says, I myself have reasons for such confidence. And to make sure everybody gets the point, to make certain that there's no misunderstanding, Paul opens up his books like an auditor, like an accountant. Paul opens up his books and he lets everybody see. Verse 4 I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Paul takes all his assets all the good things that he's done, all the, all the good works. He, he takes who he is ethnically and nationally, where he lives and how he's been raised, and he takes all those good things and he transfers them into the liabilities column. The things that he's always assumed assured him of righteousness, all the black ink on the left-hand side, he moves into the right-hand side in red. 
It's a loss. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. Verse 7, for the sake of Christ, my richest gain, I count but loss. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ. Paul pulls out his book of good works and righteousness. And he opens it up for everybody to see. You know, it might have looked something like this. Paul's book would have been pretty big, I think, pretty thick with all the good works. The Apostle Paul's good works and right beliefs by the Apostle Paul. He always liked to repeat himself, you know. But it's all here, right? And Paul just opens it up. I've been circumcised. I know what that means, right? Not only that, my father is from the royal tribe of Benjamin. My dad named me after Israel's first king. I speak both Hebrew and Aramaic. I've, I've memorized all the holy scriptures. I've got diplomas from all the synagogue schools. I studied under the feet of Gamaliel. He personally signed off on my dissertation. I'm a Pharisee. That's what's in Paul's book. And you can't find a more devout, more orthodox keeper of the law among the Pharisees than me. You can't find anyone more enthusiastic, more on fire for our God and the traditions and the commands. I had no tolerance for anybody who broke any commands. And and you want to talk about keeping every single letter of the law? You, You really want to compare legalistic righteousness according to doctrine and interpretation and teaching and practice? Buddy, I was it. It's all right here. I'm perfect. I'm blameless. I'm faultless, Paul says. All the rituals, all the feasts, all the prayers, all the washings, I'm righteous. It's right here. And then I met the Holy Son of God on my way to Damascus. And it forced me to look at the bottom line of my life's ledger. All of my good works, all of my good deeds... And it adds up to a big fat zero. Nothing, nada, zilch. Paul says, I'm spiritually bankrupt. I got nothing. All my life's work, all my commandment keeping, all it got me was a righteousness of my own, not God's righteousness. And God's righteousness is the only righteousness that counts for anything. This is Paul, a big fat zero. Let's look at my book just for a second. Alan's Little Book of Righteousness. I've got a book, don't you? You know the good deeds you've done. You know the good works you've accumulated. You know the way you were raised. It's all right here in my book. Raised by godly parents in the godly state of Texas. My grandmother, a charter member of the Pleasant Grove Church of Christ, where I spent my childhood and my formative years. Both my grandfathers and my father and all my uncles are elders in the Lord's church. A lot of them are preachers. I was baptized by immersion for the forgiveness of sins at the age of accountability in the church building on a Sunday morning. 
Trust and obey was the invitation song. <laughs> Dallas Christian Schools, Oklahoma Christian University, Austin Graduate School of Theology, two semesters of Greek, um, a deacon in the Lord's Church, a song leader, worship minister, uh, pages of church committee meetings, Bible class teacher, chapters and chapters of service projects, men's ministry. How much righteousness does this get me? How much salvation credit do I get? A big fat zero. Nothing. See what else I've got in here. You'd be surprised what they hide in the storage closet behind the prime timer's classroom. The life ledger of Tim Neal. And it's got flash drives and CDs and DVDs in it. All right, this is a pretty big book for Tim Neal. Of course, Quo, the whole first half of the book's about Quo. Kenya, widows and orphans. I mean, if there's, if there's anything at the heart of our God, it's widows and orphans and the stranger in the gate, right? Tim's at the very heart of God. All the trips to Kenya, all the houses he's helped build, all the preaching and teaching he's done all over Africa. He's baptized hundreds, and they're all in here. Tim Neal, feeding the hungry, clothing the needy, Raising money, equipping others. And then the whole back half of the book, Tim's great faithfulness to this congregation of people at Golf Course Road. All the volunteer hours, all the construction projects, all the transitions. And the grand total of holiness that this has earned Tim Neal, zero. A big fat zero. Nothing. What else? All right. J.E. Bundy, it's not even a book, it's just a file folder with a sticky note on it. It's a disorganized youth minister. I mean, there's nothing in here but newspaper clippings, all-night lock-ins and devos, uh, pizza orders, volleyball nets. What is this? Oh, my word. These are receipts that probably should have been turned in three years ago. All-night devos. Retreats, seminars, Senior Sunday. It's all here. Mission trips. What does J.E. get in the form of righteousness for all the hours he spends pouring his life into the lives of our young people? Well, here it is. Total righteousness gained. Zero. Nothing. <laughs> Some of y'all are nervous, aren't you? Eddie Lee's Exceptional Acts. This one's kind of dusty. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to read the table of contents here. Served as an elder for 20 years at the Golf Course Road Church of Christ. Those are elders' years, so that's like 200 years doing anything else. A giant in the arena of Christian education, a Christian teacher, a Christian administrator, a Christian superintendent, a Christian bus driver, provides pastoral care. He keeps up with everybody in this church. I don't know how he does it. Phone calls, visits, a beloved mentor, a leader of leaders. How much righteousness has Eddie Lee built up over the years? None. It's just not there. Uh, the Piety of Patrice. Okay, this is Patrice McKinney's book. Nexus Church Planning Committee, a leader of Teen Challenge. She maintains a blog dedicated to the memorization of Scripture um, just pages of selfless, sacrificial service adds up to nothing. 
uh, Wes and Carrie Gocher. Good works around the world. All right. Uh, missionaries to Niederoy, missions committee at GCR, on the worship team, volunteer at church. How much righteousness? How much holiness? How much heavenly credit? Zero. The good deeds of April West. Um, ladies ministry, the breaking bread ministry, feeding the homeless. How much righteousness does April West have before God because of her works? Nothing. That's the bottom line. Mark Burkett, pointing children to Jesus. Here's Mark, a lifelong teacher and mentor of children and young people, a special education expert who's dedicated his life to bettering the lives of others. He teaches in our children's ministry every single Sunday and other times as well. How much credit, how much holiness, how much righteousness for Mark Burkett? Zero. Gracie Lindsay breaks off full steam ahead. I love the title of Gracie's book of righteous deeds and good acts. Uh, let's see, Gracie leads a ladies' Bible study every single week. She's mentoring women of all ages every day, the consummate encourager, the tireless worker in the church. How much credit has that gained her before God? A big, fat zero. A couple of more. Stan Sartain in joyful service. Stan Sartain. Now, here's a guy it's, the whole thing is just about ministry, ministry to shut-ins, ministry to widows. Um, he's running errands and serving everybody. So much generosity here. And the bottom line on how much righteousness that has earned Stan, a big fat zero. Clay Wooten, building the kingdom. All right, that sounds like Clay. Christmas in action for 32 years. Think about how many roofs and how many windows installed and how many front porch restorations and kitchen remodels and siding installations that Clay has done for all of the widows and all the senior citizens and all the needy in Midland, Texas. He's an elder in the Lord's church. He's there every Thursday at the weekly men's Bible study, and it adds up to a big fat zero. What about Dale Brown? Would y'all bring in Dale's? Books. It's not just one. Dale has. There's a lot to look at here with Dale Brown. Thank you very much, Will and C and, and Maddox, for bringing all that in this morning. Yeah, there's a lot here. Um, man, Dale has just been a, a tireless worker for the Lord. There's a, I think there's, yeah, there's an inventory sheet here that I've got. So Dale, like here's a box just with Dale's family history and Dale's heritage, uh, all of his kids, grandkids, his father, his grandfathers, all the evangelists, all the um, teachers and preachers, uh, all the missionaries that have come out of Dale's family. Here's another box when, when Dale and Rita were missionaries in Brazil. That's all there. His sermons, what he's been preaching and teaching in Brazil, the, the churches he's planted, the hundreds he's baptized, all the encouragement he gives to other missionaries. Here's Dale Brown as an elder of the Lord's church um, and, and everything that that means. Lots of meetings, lots of prayer, lots of shepherding, lots of pastoral care, weddings and funerals, that kind of thing. Uh, and then here's Dale Brown. Brown. It says movies. You know, he has a media company that supports Christian movies. He also works with Communio. This, this box is really all of Dale's creativity and the way he thinks out of the box in order to reach out to others. That says uh, Dale Brown. 
what does that say, preaching. Okay, those are all the sermons and all the Bible studies, all the prayer that, that has gone into the way Dale preaches and teaches. Uh, and then here's another whole thing just of stuff that wasn't in the box. Uh, baptisms, encouragement cards, uh, Golf Course Road Missions Committee, all the hospitality, Midland Christian, all the prayers. It's all here, all the good works, all the righteous deeds. What does it add up to? Total holiness gained. Complete amount of righteousness earned. Zero. A big fat zero. Dale Brown has no righteousness of his own. Am I right? Where are you, Dale? He's probably slunk under his pew right now. Am I right about this? It's amazing, isn't it? To look at our accumulated works and good deeds and righteous acts and proper belief and to realize they add up to bubkas, nothing. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? Paul realized, I've got nothing when it comes to me standing before the Lord. And that's what we all have to realize Paul's faith had always been in his own righteousness, and it's not enough. His confidence had always been in his own obedience to God's law, and it wasn't even close. It's like Michael Phelps swimming to Hawaii. Paul had been comparing himself to others, and he had always judged himself as worthy and righteous. But when he was forced to see the Lord Jesus Christ, he came up empty, bankrupt. And so Paul had to lose his religion to gain his righteousness from God. And brothers and sisters, if we can't do the same thing, we're in trouble. Do you follow me? Our doctrine, our traditions, our practices, our beliefs, our good works, our weekly Lord's Supper, our baptisms, our food packing, our missions giving, our worship, the name on our building, none of that makes you or me or us righteous. None of it. And they're all good things. They're all wonderful things. But none of it makes us right with God. In Romans chapter 9, Paul talked about this, I think, in every single letter he wrote. But he says, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. Chapter 10, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Paul says, I want to know Christ. That's more than a motto. I want to know Christ. That's our salvation. 1 Corinthians 1, Christ Jesus has become for us our holiness, our redemption, and our righteousness. Church, this is everything. Now, Paul did not consider his heritage or his good works as garbage. That's, that's not what he called rubbish. He didn't stop keeping God's commands. He didn't renounce his schooling. He didn't seek circumcision reversal surgery. That's not what he was doing. Those things are not worthless. 
his faith in those things is what's worthless. Confidence in his own law-keeping and ritual following, that's what's rubbish. Faith in his heritage and his practices, that's the loss. It's not a gain. That's a debit, church. It's not a credit. Paul realized his own righteousness cannot save him. He can only trust in the righteousness that comes from God. Romans 3 This is familiar. Now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm not clinging anymore to a faulty and incomplete righteousness that comes from keeping rules and keeping up appearances, but I am grabbing on to the perfect and saving righteousness that only comes from God through Jesus Christ. I want to know Christ. Paul says, I lose these things, the things I've done, even the things I'm doing. They're no good to me as a basis for righteousness. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ, verse 10, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I am uh, privileged, blessed, I'm honored, really, to, uh, to get to spend time sometimes with people who are at the end of their lives, people who kind of know their time is short. I get to have conversations with people sometimes who are looking back over their lives. They're reviewing their books. And I'll hear them say, I just hope I've done enough. I just hope I've been good enough. These are godly people. These are saints in the kingdom of Christ. I just hope I've been good enough. Brother, you're not. I just hope I've done enough. Sister, you haven't. God's righteousness comes through faith in Christ Jesus. Period. I want to know Christ. Now, all of us have been baptized. All of us claim we're on the way to heaven. We're all following Jesus. All of us are being transformed more into the image of Christ in humility and sacrifice and service. But where's your faith? Where is your faith? If your faith is in your own abilities to follow God's commands perfectly, you're in trouble. If you think that you're saved by the good things that you do, that doesn't work, okay? That kind of righteousness leads to all kinds of issues. It leads to insecurity. It leads to doubt. It leads to questions. You know what else? It leads to legalism. It leads to sectarianism. It leads to being exclusive. And it leads to being boastful and prideful. That's what that kind of righteousness does. Paul took all of his good works and he laid them before his people and the Lord and said, it's garbage when it comes to my righteousness. It's a loss 
It's not a gain. It's a big fat zero compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want to know Christ. Stand with me, church. Let's say that together. Can you say that with me? I want to know Christ. Say it again. I want to know Christ. One more time. I want to know Christ. Pray with me, church. Father, forgive us. Forgive us. It is just in us as humans. I think God It's also in us just as churches of Christ. We just have this thing where we want to be right and we want to do and do more and do right and and we want to judge ourselves and judge others based on that. And Father, as Brandon's already reminded us around the table, that is poor theology. That's not who you are. You are a God of grace for everyone. Father, forgive us for trying to count our own righteousness as something that will get us into your presence. And Father, would you please receive our thanksgiving and receive our praise and receive our worship as we thank you today for the gift of your righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And Father, may you put in us a desire to experience the the surpassing greatness of knowing your Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ. In his name, all of God's people say together, amen.